we get a chance now just to, man, you know one of the reasons I know God is incredible? And this is just one of the millions. Matt and I did not talk about Scripture or anything, right? I just gave him kind of a rough idea. Hey, I'm going to be talking about a relationship with God. That's what's on his heart for a call to worship, and it's one of the passages that I'm going to reference today. I love seeing that unity in Christ, right? That's one of the ways I know God is incredible is because he's stirring our hearts, and that's powerful. Um, We're going to be looking at a topic today. We're not going to be looking at a specific passage. We're going to be hitting quite a lot of scripture. They'll be on the, the screen so you don't have to worry about flipping to all of them, but please jot them down, study them, internalize them. Spend time this week looking at them. Um, And before we do, please, if you'll join me in prayer and just ask God to bless this time. Lord, like that song said, holy, holy, holy. I have nothing else to add to that. You and you alone are holy, and we praise you for that, and we celebrate that. In this time, I ask that you just be stirring our hearts to, to know you, to see you. We ask you to fill this place, God, with your presence, that we can encounter you and and love you more and know you better. Give me your words. Don't let let people see me up here, God. Let this be a time that's pleasing to you. Let this be a time that brings glory to your name. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you do want to turn somewhere, we're going to start off in Luke chapter 10. Um, You can turn there, you can click there, whatever you want to do. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you about the second greatest love story this world has ever known. The first is how much God loved us. And the second greatest love story is how Adeline and I met, right? And I want to share, you're allowed to disagree. If if I'm third in your mind, that's okay. I I hope I'm third in your mind. That would make me happy. Um, But I think we're the second greatest love story. We met first week of college, freshman year orientation, and we hit it off immediately, just Click, Hollywood, Sparks, it was fantastic. Um, That first week, couldn't stop spending time together. Every second we had, we we were trying to be together. And then orientation ended and and college began, and we got busy, and we still tried to see each other and make time for each other, but you know, we met more friends and things like that, and we kind of stopped hanging out. And then college got even busier, and we stopped hanging out more. Um, We went to a Christian school, so there was chapel twice a week, and we'd try and connect at chapel, you know, so maybe twice a week we'd sit next to each other and chat for five minutes. Um, You get busy, right? I had plenty of friends, she had plenty of friends, we got involved in extracurriculars and stuff, so we just kind of, we were excited to start, but then we kind of drifted apart, and it seemed like every year we were spending less time together. Um, And by senior year, obviously, we were madly in love due to that. And so I proposed, and right? Who buys that? Nobody? Of course, of course not. Here's how it actually happened. We met first week, that's true. We spent time together, that's true. It was in a large group of friends, and I got to know her better. And as I got to know her, I was like, man, this person is awesome. And thankfully, she felt the same way. Otherwise, this would have been a really sad story, right? But we felt the same, and so we started spending more time together. And the group of friends we spent time with, we started, you know, spending time in smaller groups so we could get to know each other better. And soon we were spending time, just the two of us. And our thing in college was we went on long walks. I'm talking like three hours, four hours every night, just circling our campus. Like, I would love to see how many miles we covered in those four years. But we went on long walks every night, and we just talked. 
And we talked about what made us happy. We talked about what made us sad. We talked about what our hopes were, what our dreams were, what we wanted for life, what we appreciated in life. And as I got to know her more and more, my heart resonated with who her heart is, right? As we got to know each other, we connected and we appreciated the other one on a deeper and deeper level until by senior year, I was in love and I knew I was in love, right? I don't like the phrase fall in love. You fall into a mud puddle. We grew in love, right? Hopefully you guys see where I'm going with this. When we look at our relationship with God, does it more closely resemble that first story or does it more closely resemble the second true story that I just shared? Right now we're in a time of transition as a church. And transition for an organization, for a church, can be a blessing. We don't, we don't always think of transition as a blessing, but it can really be a blessing and a benefit, whether it's for a company transitioning CEOs or managers or a church transitioning pastors, because it affords us an opportunity to do some introspection. Right? Transition affords us an opportunity to look into the mirror and take stock of where we are as a body. And so if that's a benefit, and that's what we did, right? That's why we've done the survey. That's why we have meetings. That's why we ask for input, because we want to look at where we are. And if it benefits us as a body to do that, I've got to believe that it benefits us as individuals to do the same thing. And so that's what my heart is for this morning, right? That's, that's what my burden has been as I've put together this message. I, I want us to take stock of where we are as individuals. I want us to look at our relationship with Christ. I want us to look at our walk with God, and I want us to see where are we? I want us to ask those hard questions. I want us to look at, okay, am I someone pursuing a relationship with Christ? Is this true of me? And as I think about this, and again, I've shared this before, I'm not going to ask you guys any questions that I don't ask myself on a daily basis. That wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be fair. So the questions I ask you, they're going to be hard. I'm going to ask some pretty blunt, straight-to-the-point questions. But this is, this is how my mind works. This is what I wrestle with. This is what drives me. Okay? And when I look at a relationship, the first thing I think of is I think of time. And this is where I want to turn to Luke, because in Luke 10, we see two people interact with Christ. And I want to look at how these people use their time with Christ and what they choose to do with their time. And I want you to ask yourself two questions. Which sister do you find yourself more frequently resembling? Which sister are you more inclined to resemble? And then more importantly, ask yourself, as we listen to these words of Scripture, ask yourself, what do we see about what Christ desires in this encounter? Listen for what Christ wants in this encounter. This is Luke 10. I'll be reading from the ESV, starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Ooh, that's tough. Man, that's a convicting. Every time I read that, every time I think about that, that, that socks you in the stomach, right? That's a gut punch of a conviction. I mean, who among us hasn't been distracted? Because that's the thing, right? This is not a story to bash on Martha. This is not a boo Martha story. She wasn't 
avoiding Jesus. She wasn't spiting Jesus. She wasn't ignoring him. She was distracted. We have all been distracted. I guarantee it. We have all been distracted from something. And she wasn't distracted by a bad thing. She wasn't distracted by gossiping with her neighbors or, you know, just neglecting the housework and watching Netflix, right? Like, she was distracted with serving. That's a good thing. But that's a key takeaway from this. It may be good things that we allow ourselves to get distracted by. The problem is still a distraction from the person of Christ, right? And we have to look at that and we have to say, okay, what do I see here? What does Christ want in his response to Martha? I've shared with you guys my, my love of reading is pretty common knowledge. I've mentioned my love of Legos, my love of Christmas. I don't know if I've shared my love of animals. I am, I'm all about animals. Like if there had been an affordable zoological program near my high school, I'd be the next Jack Hanna and we'd be like live streaming this from Africa or something, right? Like love animals, cheetahs are the coolest, best animal on the planet. You're allowed to disagree with me, I'm right, but we can still be friends, but cheetahs are the best. So a couple of years ago, and my wife knows me, right? She knows me, she knows I love cheetahs and she knows I love animals. So a couple years ago, she plans a trip for my birthday down to the Columbus Zoo, which is a great zoo, does a lot for preservation and conservation of animals, and they have a cheetah run. And if you've never been and seen this, the Columbus Zoo set up a course where a couple times a day, they drag out a lure, they drag out a piece of bait that the cheetah gets to show you the cheetah running full speed and then making two turns using its gyroscopic tail so you can see a cheetah doing what a cheetah was made to do. And I was geeking out about this. Like we're driving down, I'm just giggling like a little kid in the front seat, right? And we go to the, we were there early, I was up in the front, and for like an hour afterwards, we're walking through the zoo and I'm just like, <laughs> we saw a cheetah, right? Like, but here's the thing, before the cheetah run, they announced this, I mean, they announced this half a dozen times, look, you can either see this happen or you can try and capture it on your phone. Don't try and capture it on your phone. If you are focused on trying to take a picture of it, if you are focused on trying to get it centered in your camera, you will miss the experience. And right before it begins, the guide who comes out, the animal trainer who comes out literally says, you can either focus on your phone or you can focus on the cheetah. That's what happened to Martha. That's what happens in our life all too easily. We get focused on serving. We get focused on everything around us. I mean, think about the words that Jesus said. He said, you are anxious and troubled about many things. How many of us, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask for a moment of just gut-wrenching honesty. Raise your hand if you've ever been so busy and overcrowded that you are stressed and anxious about it. Right? And we think this is our default setting, which blows my mind. But in America, we think that busyness to the point of anxiety is like the norm. You talk to people and you're like, hey, how are you doing? I'm so busy. I'm stressed out of my mind. Okay, well, what can you cut? Nothing. This is just how life is. What? No, I don't know where we get this idea, but we, we are so busy that we are like Martha, anxious and troubled. And sadly, we react like Martha. Right? I've reacted like Martha. I look at people in my life who have a deep, meaningful, personal, powerful walk with God, and I say, I want that. But rather than change my behavior, I say, well, they're not as busy as I am. If their schedule was as full as mine was, 
if they had as much on their plate as I do, hey, Jesus, make them be more like me. And I wonder how many times God looks at me and he says, Sam, Sam, just be like Mary. Just be like Mary. Just choose the good portion. Because here's what we have to, here's what we have to confront, and here's where it's going to get tough. But we have to ask ourselves what we do with our time. We have to be willing to take very personal looks at our time because the bottom line is it boils down to choice. Martha chose self. Martha chose her priorities. Martha chose her agenda. Mary chose Christ. In my own life, and I'm going to use some specific examples, in my own life, I have to ask myself, do I really think do I really think that if I pour myself into pursuing Christ, I mean, if I devote everything about who I am into pursuing the person of Christ, do I really think my life will suffer because of that? And the immediate answer is no, of course not. Well, what do my actions reflect? Right? Because maybe, maybe my day is crazy and my only time with God would be if I woke up 30 minutes earlier or an hour earlier. Yeah, but Sam, you don't understand. I'm so busy. I need that sleep. I need that sleep. And I tell myself that I can't set my alarm any earlier. I need that. Well, Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not faint. Do I really believe that if I wake up earlier to spend time with God, he can't possibly renew me and refresh me and give me strength for the day? Or do my actions reflect that belief because I'm not willing to wake up earlier? Well, maybe, maybe I have to give up an office marathon at night, right? A couple episodes of The Office before bed. Maybe I have to give up watching the game on Saturday. Maybe I have to give up watching both games on Sunday. Yeah, but you don't understand. My week is so stressful and crazy. I need that time. I need that time to just unplug and unwind and relax. I need that entertainment. Like Matt shared this morning, like we're going to look at here, David over and over and over and over again describes the law of the Lord as a delight. He talks about the joy of spending time with God. Do I really believe that if I choose to spend time with God instead of Netflix or CBS or Fox or whatever preferred channel your team is on, do I really believe that that couldn't possibly be as enjoyable as consuming media entertainment? We have to ask ourselves, what do I choose? My words may say one thing. Martha, if you would have asked Martha, hey, do you want to be with Jesus? I mean, how did that passage start? It said, Martha welcomed him into her home. Martha initiated that. So if you asked Martha, do you want to be with Jesus? She would have said, yeah, of course, I welcomed him in my home. What did her actions say? Mary chose the good portion. The question we have to ask ourselves when we look at our relationship with Christ do I choose the good portion in my life? We have to be willing to answer honestly. Okay, I've heard that. I've heard people say that, and I've sat there, and I've said, yeah, that makes sense. I need to spend more time with Jesus. I need to give Jesus my time first. He needs to be a priority with my time. Maybe you're sitting there, and you're thinking the same thing. Wait a minute. What do I do with that time? Right? I've heard my whole life, spend time with Jesus. What, what do I do with this time? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. We spend time getting to know him, right? What were Adeline and I doing as we took all those walks? What were we doing as we spent all that time together? We were getting to know one another. I was learning her heart. I was hearing her passions and her joys. I was hearing her struggles and her burdens. I love her more than any of you in this room. 
because I know her more than any of you in this room. You love your spouse more than anyone else in this room because you know them more than anyone else in this room. We are called to know God. Make no mistake about it. And there are very strong words if we don't. This is where we'll be in Hosea. We're going to start in Hosea chapter 4, and then we're going to jump ahead to Hosea chapter 6. We're going to look at the consequences of not knowing God, and we're going to look at Hosea's response to it and God's response. We're going to hear from, I mean, we're going to listen to what God says about knowing Him. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. That's right, there's no knowledge of God in the land. All those secular heathens, no, he's talking about his people. This isn't an opportunity to look at the world around us and say, yeah, the world doesn't know God. No, God's talking about his church. He's saying there is no knowledge of God in the land. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, there's that word rejected, that's a choice. It goes back to Mary and Martha. This isn't an accidental thing, this is a choice. My people have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. A lot of people were very quick to bemoan the state of the American church. The American church is in a crisis. Notable people are leaving the church. They're renouncing their faith. Churches are closing. Nobody wants to come to church. The younger generations are bailing on church in the thousands. The American church is in a crisis. My church is destroyed for lack of knowledge. I mean, if, if you think the American church is in a crisis, maybe we have to ask ourselves, is the church in a crisis because we're not consumed with knowing God? And what's the response to this then? What does Hosea say? Hosea in chapter 6, verse 3. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Again, press on. This is a conscious choice. This is a decision. It doesn't matter what obstacles will get in my way. I will press on to know the Lord. I will choose to pursue knowing the Lord. His coming out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Spring rains come after the dead of winter to bring life. We press on to know the Lord, and he will come as spring rains that water the earth. And then what does God say? Verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God desires steadfast love, not sacrifice. He desires knowledge of Him, not offerings. Doesn't that seem a little backwards sometimes? Right? Like, be, on, like, be honest. I'll be honest. Sometimes that seems backwards to me. Right? You read that and you're like, wait, wait a minute. The Bible, the Bible told the people of Israel, like God told the people of Israel, make sacrifices, make offerings, serve me. So wouldn't you start with that, and then over time you get to know God? Right? So in my mind, I'm like, I do. Right? I do first. I, I go through this list. I busy myself. I busy myself to the point of trouble and anxiety with serving and sacrificing and offerings. And then I get to know God. And God says, no. He says, no. I desire knowledge of me rather than offerings. Stop doing. Know me. That's what I want. That's what God desires. You have to understand God desires that you know him. Okay? We have to understand that. That has to burden us and drive us. So we see, we see the importance of knowing God. Well, how do we know God? 
we have His Word. This is not just some book that we pull out occasionally. This is God's Word. The power in this, the life in this. You talk about knowing. In these words, we see God's heart. We see what grieves Him. Do you know what grieves God? Do you know what brings God joy? Do you know what God desires? Do you know what God detests? Because in His words, we see these things. Listen, I'm going to go through a couple scriptures here, all right? We're going, to, we're going to move around. I told you, there's a lot of Bible today. But I want to make sure we're operating from the same point of understanding. 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is God's word. This isn't what people wanted to put together. This is God's word. It's breathed out by God and it's profitable for all things. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is alive and active. This goes to what James said last week where he said God's word does not return void. Do we really think that spending time with God's word can't possibly, if I pray, if I earnestly pray, I didn't go to seminary, I don't have all the training, right? I dropped out of second grade. I can't possibly understand God's word. Do we really think if we pray, Lord, show me yourself as I read your scripture, do we really think God is incapable of using a living act of word that's sharper than any double-edged sword to pierce through to our heart? We have to allow it to do so. A sword does no good if you leave it in the sheath the whole time. So use God's word. Deuteronomy 8.3. This is the passage that Jesus quoted to Satan to rebuke him in the desert. And he, he being God, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We've established this is the Word of God. Deuteronomy says we live by the Word of God. But we don't take that very seriously, right? If I was slumped over looking terrible in the corner one Sunday, I mean, white as a ghost, cheeks sunken in, and you said, Sam, are you okay, man? I haven't eaten in like two weeks. What? Why not? I've been too busy. I've been too busy for food. You look at me like I was insane, and you drag me to the hospital to hook up an IV, right? But how many times in our own life, how many times in my life do I say I'm too busy for God's Word? I mean, it is long past due that we get back to recognizing this as essential to our life. There's not a single person in here who would let busyness keep them from eating for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It is long past due that the church gets back to making God's word just as essential to our daily life. And I'm going to get very blunt here. You guys have let me get blunt in the past, right? I'm going to get very blunt here. And I'm going to do it because I care. If you are relying on this service to be your primary source of time with God, you need to correct that immediately. If you are relying on Sunday morning service to be your primary driver of time with God, there is not a chance you are getting enough nourishment. 
There is not a chance you are getting the sustenance you need. And how do I know that? Because we spend far more time apart than we do together. So if you are relying on the pastor or whoever's preaching for your time in God's word, you need to fix that now. And why do I say that? Because that's what God's word says. Listen to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And this isn't Eastern religion meditation where you empty your mind. This is original meditation. This is true meditation where you focus on nothing but where you forget about everything else to meditate on the Word of God. Sam, that's just one verse where it says meditate day and night. Ah, you would think so. Write these down. I'm giving you homework. I'm not a teacher. I'm giving you homework. Do it anyway, right? Sam, if I'm called to spend time with God's Word, I don't know where to begin. Well, that's great. I've got a list for you. Joshua 1, Psalm 4, Psalm 19, Psalm 49, Psalm 63, Psalm 77, Psalm 119, Psalm 143, 1 Timothy 4. And this is just a small sample size, but in every single one of those chapters, you will see this concept, this charge to spend time daily, constantly, consistently on God's Word. This is not something that you pull out once a week. This isn't something you pull out twice a week. Oh, I'm doing really well. I'm pulling it out three times a week. No, this is a daily, minute-by-minute minute meditation, consumption, focus on God's Word. Why? Because we are called to know Him, and we must be a church that knows Him. All right. I'm, I'm tracking time with God, knowing God. I feel like I'm doing that. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing that. But it still feels like there's a disconnect. What's the third thing that I see that goes into a relationship? Mutual communication. Right? How would my relationship with Adeline have turned out if over those four years only one of us talked? That person might have been in love, right? Like if she was the only one who talked for four years, maybe I might have loved her, but she wouldn't have known me at all. So my thought is, do we want God to know us? Do we desire God to know us? Do we strive for God to know us? What? He's God. He knows everything, right? You're sitting there thinking, he's God. He, he knows me. Yes. And it gets a little puzzling. We're going to work through it together. Because he does. He knows me. God knows my struggles. He knows my joys. He knows my failures but he calls me to have a relationship with him. And part of a relationship is honest communication. It's a two-way street. And again, we see this in scripture, right? Listen to 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called, this is God speaking. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Here we see prayer and communication with the purpose of repentance and confession. 
Why? Because God desires us to bring our failures to Him. God desires us to come before Him and confess. He wants us to be honest with Him. He wants us to be vulnerable with Him. We see this in 2 Chronicles. In Jeremiah 29, 12-13, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Here we see people communicating with God with the express purpose of seeking Him. Right? They're going before the Lord with the desire of, Lord, I want to seek you. I want to find you. I want to know you. I'm not coming to you with a laundry list of needs. I'm not coming to you with all my requests. I'm coming before you to know you. We see different communication with God than we saw in 2 Chronicles. And in Psalm 139, 23, we see David. If you want to know what a relationship with God looks like, man, just read Psalms, right? David is called a man after God's own heart. So if I want to be a man after God's own heart, I'm going to take my cues from David. David goes before the Lord when he's happy, when he's sad, when he's hungry. If you think I'm exaggerating, he goes before the Lord when he's hungry. And then he goes before the Lord when he's full and he's grateful for that. He goes before the Lord when he's angry, when he's hurt, when he's bitter, when he's questioning. There is not a thing that David holds back from God. There is not an instance where David doesn't take it to the Lord to be honest and broken in front of God. And it always comes back to David praising the Lord. And in Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. There you see him saying to God, Know me. Lord, I want you to know me. I want you to search my heart. I want you to search my thoughts. I want you to look for any offensive ways and correct them. I want you to lead me. And so as I look at our relationships with Christ, I have to ask myself the question, do I desire that God knows me? I mean, I want to know God, but do I want God to know me? Do I want God to know my bumps, my bruises, my scars, my aches, my joys, my victories? Am I willing to be honest before the Lord about who I am? Am I going to be driven to search and to know Him? I will testify every day of my life that the more I know God, the more I crave Him. And the more I desire to know Him more and to know Him deeper, I will never be satisfied with my knowledge of the Lord. Because the more I know Him, the more I want of Him. And the more I want of Him, the more I want to live like He calls me to live, to love Him. And I promise you, I firmly believe the same will be true of anyone who consumes themselves with their relationship with the Lord. If we are a people like Mary who choose the better portion, if we are a people like David who say, search me and know me, if we are a people like in Jeremiah who seek after God with all our heart, I promise you we will know him and we will love him and crave him more and more and more. And that's what I desire for each and every one of us. I really don't think I shared anything groundbreaking today. I don't. I don't think I shared any thought that the church has never had before. But like I said, sometimes we need to do introspection. We need to be willing to look in the mirror and ask ourselves the questions, do I choose the good portion with my time? Do I delight in knowing God? Do I desire to know God? Or am I content with kind of a superficial, well, I go to a church where the director of ministry knows God. Do I desire to know God? Do I desire God to know me? 
This is a time for, for reflection. We're busy. I know we are. But guess what? Right now, you're all here in this room. So I know you don't have anything else to do because there's nothing. you're all sitting in these seats. So if you're looking at your week and I'm like, I don't have time to do this, well, guess what? We're going to get time right now. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray to open it up. Matt's going to come up. He's just going to play some soft music, right? And I would invite you. We can't make you. But I would invite you, after I pray and open this time, just take a moment to quiet yourself before the Lord and ask, how are we doing? Go before God and say, God, show me where our relationship is. Show me where it needs to be. Lead me. Grow me. Be honest. If I don't desire you, Lord, grow in me a desire to know you. I want us to take some time and just be quiet before the Lord and ask ourselves these questions so that we can know him and we can delight in knowing him. After a few minutes, Matt will begin singing the closing song. If you want to join in, by all means. If you want to keep praying, by all means. And if you're sitting there right now and you're like, I don't know God, I don't know if I know God, I want to talk to somebody about this, come find me afterwards. Come find James, who did the announcements afterwards. Ask somebody, ask anybody, hey, point me to an elder, point me to Esther, point me to anyone. Because we want you to know God, and we want you to be known by God. And so let's pray together, and let's just spend some time quiet before the Lord. God, my mind is blown that you look at me and you desire a relationship with me. Uh, the God of the universe looks at us and wants a relationship with us. What a blessing, what a joy, what a privilege. Lord, we know we're not perfect, but we want to know you. Your word says, be holy as you are holy, and we want to be holy for you. We want to be people whose lives give you glory. So God, in this time, quiet our hearts. In this time, apart from the distractions of a house, the distractions of a job, in this time when we can just be before you in your presence, speak to us. Show us where we need to go. Lay that burden on our hearts. Ignite that passion within us. We give you praise. Amen.